Guy who has been here, Troy, when did you last come? A couple years? So it took the class, and do you take it just once? A couple times. So he sat through the class basically twice, or all of it once and part of it once. Year and a half since he's been. When we finished up, he said, ah, walked over and he said, man, I totally forgot about candles. I've just been using the indicators, which we'll talk about in a minute. If I apply what I know on indicators with candles, oh my God. Look, I would have got out trades better, got in trades better. It's all the, now I understand what you mean. It's a 90-year-old woman. I totally forgot all the ands. 90-year-old woman and brain dead and 90-year-old and female and brain dead and life support and red tip cane and oxygen tank. It's all those pieces you want to see. You can do reasonably well even if you forget a piece. But it gets you to be more discerning the more pieces you put in there, the more factors, more filters you run it through. All right, here comes the elephant, big time thunk. Did y'all get enough sugar? And do I need to make the room cold? Yeah, I got somebody up here going, it's hot. <laughs> All right, so what I want you to think of is this. We're at the end of baseball season. The best time to do this is probably like February, March, spring training. Picture a young kid, eight, nine, I don't know, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, whenever they start playing Little League. And what he does is he's been practicing a little bit, and this is not where the dads toss the ball underhand to him. This is where another kid is throwing it to him. So he's that that age. And he's playing in a Little League game. He hasn't batted yet, first game ever, a little nervous, and he's ready to go up on the plane. They don't do on deck at this age. They make him sit in the dugout in case they get walloped by a stray ball. And he's ready to come up to bat. The coach hollers down the bench, Ricky, you're up next. Grab a helmet. Ricky runs down and he grabs a helmet and puts it on, right? It's too big for his head. He comes running up to the plate, and you can hear mom and dad in the stand saying, remember, son, good job, cheering him on. And you hear the dad hollering, knees to shoulder, knees to shoulder, knees to shoulder. Right? And what he's telling him is, don't swing if the ball is not in between the knees to the shoulder, somewhere in the strike zone. Ricky gets up there, he checks, he waits for the pitcher to throw it in. Pitcher winds up, nine-year-old kid, and throws it. The ball sails 10 feet over Ricky's head. What does Ricky do? He swings, right? And then the parents and the coach are like, no, 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 knees to shoulder, knees to shoulder. Guess what you're going to do the first time you see anything that looks like a trade that's not? You're going to swing, right? Which is why you do this on paper. Other way to think about this, Ted Williams, considered the greatest hitter in baseball, way back in the 40s, I believe. He was the last guy to hit 400. He wrote a book called Art of Hitting, Science of Hitting. Science of Hitting on page 38. Notice I don't have that up there. That one I remember because I've, I've got the book. I've read the book. Williams was a lefty. I'm a righty. So I'm going to do it from a right-handed perspective. It's got a picture of him standing like this with a bat. And he's got a grid pattern in front of him with 72 baseballs on there. In fact, if you go to the Cooperstown Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, there's a diagram of just that. Each one of the baseballs has a percentage on there to, to show what Williams' results were. And what he had, one of the students went there, he said, I saw this, I thought of you, he took a picture, I've got it on my phone. So I know it is right there. What Williams found was, he realized that he hit better if the ball was in certain areas of the strike zone, and less well if there was in other areas. He hired a guy one year to sit out in the stands all season long, and this is before video and high, you know, high-end camera equipment. That guy's job was to track where the pitches came in, 
and whether or not Williams got a hit. So if the strike zone is like this, you know, knees to shoulder and way outside, he tracked what happens if the ball was high and outside versus waist high and outside versus low and outside versus inside low, inside waist high, inside high. He had, there are 70, it's an eight by nine grid. So the guy's job was to track where the pitch came in and whether or not Williams got a hit. He tracked that all year. He used the data on that to then realize that his sweet spot, his fat pitch, if you will, the best pitch that he could hit, maybe was low and out or waist high and outside is where Williams' spot was. Then he trained himself to only swing at pitches that were there. What you're going to do is the exact same concept. You're going to track your results for a long period of time, and you're going to find that some pitches you will do better at than others. Some of you will do better waist high, some of you will do better shoulder high, some will do better knee high, some will do better inside versus outside. It doesn't matter, there's no right or wrong, it's you. You've got to learn to track those and track your results. And then once you figure out what you do the best at, then you only swing at those pitches. That's why we paper trade for a year. The nice thing is in the stock market, unlike baseball, in baseball you can't sit with the bat on your shoulder for three years. Right? There are pitches coming in, you get a called strike, you've got to swing occasionally. If not, you'll get called out. In the stock market, you ain't got to move the bat. You can sit there for years waiting for your fat pitch to come across. What does Buffett do? He's the where I heard the term fat pitch. What he talks about says up there, a batter can watch any number of pitches go by. But what he does is he waits for his fat pitch. And he swings billions of dollars with his bat, waiting for the opportune moment that meet his criteria. And then he swings. You're going to do the exact same thing. So what is this fat pitch that we're looking for? It's a, what's known as, a, and this is, if you're new, this makes no sense at all. Just listen to me. Remember what I said? Don't digest it. Just listen and write it down if it's not already written. It is what's known as a triple cross. I'm going to show some indicators here in a moment. There's going to be red and green lines on those indicators. What are indicators? Indicators are mathematical functions applied to price. So it could be an average. It could be a moving average. It could be the square root of the distance to the moon divided by four. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. When I see those red and green lines cross, that's what I'm looking for. And I want to see it cross on multiple indicators at the same time. If I see that, that doesn't tell me to buy or sell. That just says, look at me further. That says, I'm a 90-year-old woman. Now I got to look and see, is she brain dead? on life support, oxygen tank, the whole nine yards. I'm looking for all these other factors, okay? But when I'm, my starting point, my fat pitch, if you will, is a 3X, a triple cross. Make sense? Keep it simple. Now what happens if it's almost a triple cross? You're almost pregnant, you're not, <laughs> right? You move on, you go to the next one. If you stare at it long enough, it'll look wonderful, eventually. Okay, you move on next. If it doesn't jump off the page, move on. The next page is entitled Chart Example. Identify the indicators. There are four of them. Okay, here's the elephant. 
look at the top of the page. The page is divided into kind of four sections, if you will. Up here is known as the price area where the candles are. Then I've got this area. See those red and green lines that I talked about? This indicator is called Stochastics RSI. I'll explain it in a moment. Then I've got another section of the chart, red and green lines. This is called MACD. I'll explain it in a moment as well. At the bottom, I've got something called the Directional Movement ADX. I'll call it either AD, uh, the DMI, Directional Movement Indicators, is the acronym for that. What I'm looking for, it looks like a bunch of spaghetti, doesn't it? Notice there are red and green lines on each one of those indicator areas. What I'm looking for is when those red and green lines cross. So as an example, there's one right there. See on about October 1st, see the red and the green crossed in the Stoke area? Right, MACD, see how they crossed? Did they cross down here? Nope. And did they cross up there? Oh, they did. Look at that. The definition of a fat pitch, a triple cross, there's one cross, there's two, there's three. So on that date, on or about October 1st, whatever that date is, where it crossed on Price, on Stoke, and on MACD, that says I want to look further at this chart to see whether or not it's worthy of taking an entry. Okay? It's all I'm looking for. It's very, very simple. Now what I want you to notice is this. Watch. Let's kind of follow our finger along on Stoke. And every time I see the red cross green, I'm going to see if MACD did cross as well, and if price crossed at about the same point. And if it did, I want to see what direction price moved. What you'll see is price will move in the direction that the red line is pointing. So let's go back here till about, what is that, July 30th or so, August 1st, somewhere in there. See where the red and green crossed in price and on Stoke? Didn't quite line up with MACD, but let's just say it did. And what direction is the red line pointing? Down. So I expect the stock to move down. Did it? It did. Look at that. Not very much, but it did. Huh. All right, let's go back down. Let's look at Stoke now. Stoke crossed back up on about August 10th. Did these cross up at the same time? Nope. So I don't worry about it. Go to that one, it crossed back over there on about August 13th. MACD crossed then as well, and so did Price. There's kind of a weak triple cross there. What happened to Price? Moved down a little bit. Interesting. All right, let's look here. Not much there, MACD didn't cross. That's on about August 20th. So I didn't get my triple cross there. Stoke bottomed out at about August 20th and then turned back up at about the 23rd or so. So Stoke crossed on the 23rd. Notice MACD crossed at the same time. So did the candles. Red, can, red line is pointing what direction? Up. What direction did the stock move? Huh. Isn't that weird? First question out of everybody's mind. Why? What's my answer? Don't ask. <laughs> don't know, don't care. Just trust it. Look at it. It's amazing. It happens over and over and over again. Now I can look here that Stoke crossed a bunch of times. Did MACD ever cross? It never did. Crossed right up there on about September 24th. MACD, Stoke, Price did. Did it move down a little bit? Son of a gun, it did. That's amazing. Now look on the far right edge. 
See how it's crossing on the far right edge? Stoke is crossing, MACD is crossing. That far right edge is what you want your entries to look like. Price is coming off of the Bollinger Bands. I've got a triple cross. I actually have almost a quadruple cross because I've got the DMI lines crossing as well, or very just about. So I've got price crossing, red and green crossing. I've got Stoke crossing. I've got MACD crossing. And I can see the directional lines are just about kissing. They're air kissing. They're Hollywood types. Okay. Now what do I expect to see happen when I see that? I follow the red line. What direction do I expect that stock to go? Down. If I were going to trade this, if I know stock's going down, how would I trade it? What can I do? Puts. Cool. All right. What you'll find as you go through these, write this down. This will be in your notes and you'll, it'll hit you in about six months. Be sure to write this down. All your trades look the same. All the vendors are laughing going, yeah, son of a bitch, he's right. It was in my notes too. I didn't realize six months later, crap, all my trades look alike. It would have been so much easier if I had picked that up. All your trades look alike. Okay, let me explain the indicators quick. Stoke, Stochastics RSI. Stochastics, in my thinking, is a way to measure the strength of a stock relative to itself, is the way I view that. What is the math behind it? Hold that question. So it's a way to measure the, the relative strength of a stock to itself, is the way I think about it. The next one underneath that is moving, uh, sorry, MACD. It's not MACD, it's MACD. It stands for Moving Average Convergence Divergence. Moving Average Convergence Divergence. Mathematically what it is, is a moving average of moving averages. Think of that in calculus terms. I think that's called a derivative, if I remember right, or an integral. I can't remember which one is which. I'm just SC guy. <laughs> I got a little hairy carry on myself. All right, so that's MACD. The last one is DMI, Directional Movement Indicator. Those are the red and the green lines. What it means, honestly, I don't know. Can't remember. Don't care. Now, if it bugs you to say, what does all this mean? It's, let me tell you this. At some point in your trading career, it's going to hit you and go, what is Stoke calculating? I just have to know. It's just eating me up. When that voice inside your head starts talking, just tell it to shut up. Right? And it'll go, it'll go quiet for a while, and then it'll pop up again. And eventually that voice will be so strong that you can't resist it. When that happens, write this down. Go to a place on the web called stockcharts.com. It's in the first page book. Or for, sorry, it's, in, it's on a page in the first book. On, on stockcharts.com, there's a tab that says Chart School. You click on Chart School. It'll then say Indicators. Click on Indicators and find the indicator for Stoke RSI, Stochastics RSI. And you'll read it and you go, that is utterly fascinating. I didn't need to know that. And be sure and you write that down too. So when you go back and you go, Hanson already told me I didn't need to know it. I told you. So you'll read it and go, that's really interesting. It's totally irrelevant. But at least you placated that curiosity that goes on in your head. Same thing with MACD. Same thing with the DMI. Okay, the math on it is totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Just know that when red cross green across three or four of the indicators at the same time, that is worthy of looking at. That's what I'm looking for. Next question comes up. You got three circles on there. I've got directional circled from the bottom. 
I got MACD circled, I've got Stoke circled. You say there's four indicators, where's the fourth one? Price, it's the red and the green lines in price, that's the fourth indicator, okay? So my definition of a triple cross, the fat pitch that I wanna swing at, my three X, is when any one of price, Stoke, MACD, or the directionals cross at the same time. Now, which one of those is most important? I love, they joke, I gotta do it in a Barry White voice, I can't do it. I love MACD. You gotta love MACD. That, not bad. The guy who's a sound guy, tell me I sound like Barry White. <laughs> you, know, see, you can monkey with the thing, we'll see if I really get deep on it. See how it sounds on the recording. I love MACD. Said differently, you gotta have MACD as one of the indicators. If you don't have it, don't do it. You gotta have MACD, I love MACD. So he's saying, could I have DMI and MACD in price and not Stoke? It can happen. Now the question will come up. What if they almost cross at the same time? Let's say, I look at a daily chart. I got them, I could, they all cross on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. Let's say that, well, here's, my, here's my price action. I got you know, this row, this row, this row, this row. The first one up here is price. He crosses on Monday. This guy crosses on Tuesday. He crossed on Monday. Ron crossed on Tuesday. So each one of the indicators was off by one. Is that a, fat, is that a 3X? No. Could that be a trade? It could be. We're gonna talk a little bit about your homework. You're gonna start tracking three X's, a triple cross. And I want you to start tracking those to see when you see those, what is your batting average? And you say, well, what if it's really close? So good, you get to track those too. And then you'll get to realize how close you have to be to perfection to take it. Because what'll happen is you, people will say, well, I want a triple cross perfectly lined up. Say it's only off by one. I'm gonna do it anyway. It's like, cool, but this next one's only off by two and two's really close to one, right? And this next one is only off by three because three's close to two, we know two is close to one. And the next one is only off by 11 because 11's close to 10, which is close, you know what I mean? Where do you draw the line? You gotta have a line somewhere. And there is no argument, there's an art to this. The perfect setup is what I just described. You're not gonna see perfect setups all the time. And so you have to learn to be able to recognize what is close where I will accept. Easy analogy for me to explain this is dating. I'm gonna speak from a male perspective, change all the genders to be female, you'll understand what I'm talking about. When you're 18 years old, the ideal date for an 18 year old male has probably three characteristics. Right, it's height and weight proportionate, and maybe other proportions are not proportional. Right, there's not a lot that an 18-year-old, <laughs> did I say that well? There's not a lot that an 18-year-old has experience to look for, right? And that's the same male or female, right? Doesn't matter. Now you get to be 28, and you've got a little more life experience. You've experienced things on your own, and you've watched friends or family dating as well, and you realize, wow, if I could find somebody like that, that would be ideal or oh my God, if I see somebody like that, run, right? And you learn what is bad and what is good. And so a 28 year old has more refined traits that they're looking for in a date or a mate, right? They're looking for, you know, it's the height and weight, it's all the things as an 18 year old, but there's other things you look for as a 28 year old. Maybe it's earnings potential, maybe it's education, maybe character integrity comes into play. Maybe it's, you know, where the parents nut jobs, 
right? Do they have tattoos with lines drawn through them of all the former boyfriends or girlfriends, right? I mean, all the stuff you start to look for and notice in people, you realize, I don't want to get near that. When you're 38, your, your criteria change as well, because now you've got more experience. And the things that were mandatory at 18 are like, oh yeah, that'd be nice, but I'm really looking for this at 38. And same thing when you're 48, it just, it refines as you get more experience. As you get more experience in the stock market, your selection criteria will become, you'll become more discerning. Early on, I just want you to worry about a 3X. And remember early on, what are we trading with again? Oh, paper money. So it doesn't matter, right? That's how we're gonna learn. So that way you can figure out how close to perfect must I be, okay? I had a bunch of questions, I've ignored them. Ruben, what you got? I love MACD, gotta have MACD. So his question was, what if I have everything but MACD? Practice it to see, but I, you'll find, I'm giving you a hint on this one, you gotta have MACD. But practice it without it and see what happens. And you'll come back and you'll be sounding like Barry White too. Love MACD, gotta have it, gotta have it, okay? Nick, did you have one? His question is, is this channeling? And the answer is yes, it's channeling between the upper band and the middle band. So it's not, we're not drawing a trend line between points. I'm using a moving average as a channel line, as kind of a trend line, if you will. So yeah, you could call that channeling. So his question is, if that is a, an example of a channeling stock, could you use that middle band as a floor? You could. You say, you know, it's channeling from about, what is that, August 27th-ish? Once it breaks through, all the way up to where we're going there. And we're not using a trend line that I'm drawing manually. I'm using the 21 moving average, the middle band, as its lower trend line. Certainly is. So his question is, when you draw these out, and this, it's almost an engineer question, but it comes up a lot on the, on the charts. So when you look at where these lines cross, and I mean literally where they cross, if you look in the, can, in the price area, sometimes you'll see them crossing on the candle itself. Sometimes you'll see it crossing in the red and the green. If you look where they're physically crossing, it is in between the two candles. So if they were not crossing on Monday, and now they, they crossed you know, in the gap area, if you will, between Monday and Tuesday, and now Tuesday they've crossed, that's a Tuesday cross. Well, it's if they were not crossed on Monday, and now they are on Tuesday, so if Monday cross, no, Tuesday cross, yes, that's good. Whether or not that physical cross showed up, like if you see the red and the green lines right in the middle of the candle, or if it showed up just the other side, just on the left side of it, as long as they weren't crossed on that earlier candle. Okay? That's almost micrometer, but I understand what you're saying, so I'll give you a buy on that one. Yes? His question is, how micrometer-esque must you be? And the answer is, if the word micrometer comes in, no. So I would just, I'm going to send you a workspace and I would just, if you want to count the number of candles that I have on the screen and don't shrink in it or fatten it, I would just leave it at that. I don't ever get down to, if I got to get, think of it this way, if I have to put my nose up to the screen to tell whether or not they crossed, I'm going to the next chart. It, think of it this way, if, if you're not sure, get up and walk to the back of the room and look at the chart. And if it's a trade from the back of the room, it's a trade. If it's not when you're at the back of the room, then don't do it. Because if, if you have to have, if you have nose prints on the screen, it's not going to work. The other way to do this when you do your homework, I'll cover this in the next couple of sessions, you literally put your feet on the table, get a nice, comfortable chair, you literally, sorry about this, you put your feet up on the table and you lean way back. That's how far away you want to be from your monitors. If you can't see that it's a trade there, it ain't a trade. If you got to get closer to define if it's a trade, it's not going to work. 
So, and if you're really not sure, then it's like, well, I don't know, stand up and walk to the farthest point in your room away from the monitors and look at it from there. If it doesn't jump out at you as a trade, it ain't a trade. It's kind of, it goes back to the dating analogy. I won't pick on anybody. I could stand with a male and a female and point around and go, which one's good looking? And you go, no, 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 no. Ah, there's one, right? I mean, you don't have to sit and study them. You can just tell. You can tell really quick, right? It jumps out at you. Trades will be the same way. Remember what did I say about trades? What do they look like? They all look alike. Your setups are all identical. What you're looking for. So his question is, hey, wait a minute. A two moving average is really the average of the last two days. A three moving average is the average of the last three days. That says that they should almost be sitting on top of each other. How come there's so much distance in between them? The reason for that is that green line is a three moving average with an offset of three. It is pushed to the right three. Why? It works. <laughs> I don't know. I read it somewhere, applied it, someone showed me, like, hey, that's pretty cool. Why does it work? I don't know. So it is offset. Do you worry about it? Nope. It's an offset by three. You'll see, if you go reading about trading books, some people use like an offset of eight or five or other stuff. I've just found this one works really well. Her point is if you were to extend, if you could look to the far right edge of this on the part you can't see, the green line extends three candles to the right because it's plotting that data point for today's value three days ahead. Okay? Don't get too wrapped up in it. Keep this in mind. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Right? I ain't got no pocket protector on. <laughs> I'm not that smart. It's shorts and it's really simple. If you get into pocket protector discussion, you're well beyond what I do. Very, I should wear a tank top, right? It's very, very, very simple. Okay? Last one. Yes, sir. That's three questions, man. You said two. <laughs> what was the first one? That's right. What was the first one? All right. What he asked on the first question was, what does each one of those candles represent? And the answer is it represents a day. What we've got up here. How do I know it represents a day? Because two reasons. One, I look on the bottom and it looks like each one of those takes up one day. The other is I look up up there on the very top. If you look on your book, it's probably easier to see. And it says NASDAQ, which says it's trading on the NASDAQ exchange. The next is Alexion, or the ticker L, excuse me, ALXN, which I know is Alexion. Then it says comma D. Comma D means daily. If it said comma 55, then I know I'd be looking at a 55 minute. If it said comma five, it'd be a five minute chart. So that's how I know it's daily. This question is, what time frame would I do this on? The answer is yes. Any of them, doesn't matter. They all look the same. All your charts look alike. His next question was, so if I see this setup on, looks like October 8th on the far right edge, when do I get in? Well, I can't get in on the day before because the indicators haven't crossed. And I can't get in midday because the candle isn't closed. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't, I'm not that prescient, what's the right word? I don't, I don't have that good of a crystal ball to know how it's gonna close midway in the day. So I gotta wait till the candle closes. So I'm gonna see this when I do my homework on, if that's a Friday close, I'm gonna see it when I do my homework sometime between 1 p.m. on Friday up until 6.29 a.m. on Monday. So I've got all those hours to do my homework and sit and fret as to whether or not I should press enter the next day. It'll drive you nuts. Weekends are a fun time. All right, so that's that piece. Let me keep going forward, bunch of stuff. This page I hope you never ever have to look at again. I'm gonna send you a workspace that has these charts already built into it. If, and what I would do when I send it to you is save it. 
Name it as, in case something goes wrong, use this file again. Or rename it as that. If you somehow blow something up and you have to rebuild your workspace, these are the settings you would use to do so. You should never, ever have to do that. Because just save the workspace I sent you and you'll get there. But if you ever wanted to know what all these things are, this is what I, the settings that I use to do all that. Like, what the hell is all that? Exactly. Okay? I say use Q-charts. Some of people in the room will use a different charting package. Hear me loud and clear. If you use a different charting package, I can't answer your questions. Because their charts look different results than Q-charts. So you'll go, wait, you said this was a great entry on Apple stock on such and such a date. On my charts, it's not an entry. Guess what the answer is? Get a different chart. Right? I can't address it. I don't know what to do. Use what I use. It works. Think of it this way also. How many places can you run a business for $200 a month? That's your fixed cost and that's it. Randy, you run a business. Can you run a business for $200 a month? No way. You cannot do it. Buy the damn product. Don't worry about it. Okay? The next page says examples of indicators crossing. Next piece. Here's an example of a triple cross. The fat pitch with a P that we are looking for. On the far right edge, everything crossed. It's just not like the, like the page before. Y'all see it? Looks just like we did before. I've covered this already. Now notice those two hash lines. More, there's one in the middle, August 26th or so, and another one September 24th, give or take. See those also crossed. So let's start with September 24th. Price area crossed. Stoke crossed, or darn near, MACD crossed. Triple cross. In fact, so did the DMI. Nice. I got a four cross, quadruple cross, still a triple cross. Call it the same. Don't, I don't need to name it something different. Whether three or four of them cross at the same time, I'm still going to call it a triple cross. What I want to see, write this down. Remember, I'm looking for a 90-year-old woman. Brain dead, life support, oxygen tank, red tip cane, the whole nine yards, priest walking down the hall rubbing the beads. One of the things I want to see, preferably, is price hit the Bollinger Band. Spread the Bollinger Band. Come off the band and then give me a 3x. So ready? Hit the, so price hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, followed by a 3x. When I see that, I'm a lot more excited than I am when I see what I see on September 24th. So all September 24th tells me is when I see that, I look a little further. I see a 3x, I look a little further. Did it hit the band, spread the band? Nope. Next. Okay. Now I go to August 20, what is that, August 26th, give or take? What did it do? Price came down, almost hit the band. Well, you know, I haven't done a trade in weeks. Almost is good enough for me. See the mentality that steps in? That's what you got to learn to deal with. But it bounced off that moving average, which I like. It didn't spread the band, but it ran up from there. Let me explain something further on those moving averages I left out earlier. See the middle Bollinger Band? That 21 period moving average, think of those, I've got three moving averages up there, there's really four, right? I've got the three moving average, the 21, the 50, 
and the 200. Each one of those, if you want to think, imagine I'm, I'm here and I'm price, and my objective is to get through the door. If I've got a three moving average stopping me, that's basically three people standing there trying to block my way to get through the door. I probably, depending how big they are, I can probably break through them, depending how strong I am. If I have 21 of them at the door, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me. Could I do it? I still might be able to, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult. If I've got 50 of them blocking the door, it's going to be a little more harder. If I've got 200 of them blocking the door, it's not that it's impossible, but it's going to be harder. Because right? remember, they don't want to just all glom up. They, you know, they're all holding hands like this. I've got to break through. Just understand. So the smaller the number, the weaker its strength, if you will, for a moving average. A three moving average is weaker than a 200 at times. It is not always that way. I had to be sitting on a mountaintop wearing like robes and sandals and it is not always, how would Yoda say it? To be it is not always that way. <laughs> Just understand, but those are, that's the moving averages. So if you see a 3x, that's a decision point to delve a little deeper into the stock. If you do not see a 3x, that says go to the next one quickly. Because if you stare at it long enough, it will become attractive. And you'll talk yourself into it. The next page is entitled Indicators Crossing. Here's that same chart without any circles on it. This is what it will look like when you do your homework at night. Looking at that right edge and you have to decide, is that a 3x, yes or no? And if it is, awesome. Delve deeper. If it is not, next. Okay? Is that a bullish or bearish setup? Bearish. Why? Because red is pointing down. Okay? If it were a bullish setup, what direction would red be pointing? Up. Very straightforward. Do I always want them to be coming off the Bollinger Band? The 3x coming off the Bollinger Band. If given a choice of yes or no, I will always, I would much prefer it. Will I do some sometimes that don't? Yes. How will you practice? You're going to practice both and you're going to start tracking your results and say, wow, if it's coming off, the, if it hit the band, spread the band and then comes off, my batting average is this high. When it just kind of gets close to the band and then takes off, you'll find your batting average is a little less. And so you'll learn, I use the term, you'll hear me say to people all the time, I did it and I was like, don't date ugly people, right? Don't do ugly trades. It's got to be a beautiful trade. If it's not, don't waste your time. You want to hit the band, spread the band, come off the band and go. It's always what you're looking for. Yep. Oh, good question. He's saying, well, what does spread the band mean? Um, let's see, September 30th. Sorry, what's before August? July, July 30th. Hey, Jack, see how the bands were just going sideways right here? In the last part of July, they're going horizontal. Y'all see me? Now, Jack, see what happened? Price hit the band. And what happened to the band? See how it started to spread up? Jack, it's almost, do you ever, how, daughter's young, right? You haven't done alligator stuff yet. Alligator, right? You do this when they're young, <laughs> right? And so when they're really young, this is the alligator open, this alligator close. And so when the alligators, you can see the, the bands are starting to spread. They're going farther apart than they were. So this question on the right edge, is that spreading the band? Nope. And you say, well, if I got a micrometer, it might be. If you really have to, I mean, this is pretty obvious that it's spreading. Right, this one on July 30th? If you're not sure, it probably isn't. You want it to be visually noticeable that it's spreading. I assume it is. I can't see it. 
Her question is the bottom band spreading out. It looks like right there. See, you can just barely see it on about July 30th. And then it rolls back down outside of that. So I'm assuming it's spreading. Okay, you're saying, would this still be a potential entry? And yes, it is a potential entry. Right? All it says is look at me further. Uh, yes and no. His question is, does it matter which band you spread? Price is going to hit a band. And because the bands mathematically are two standard deviations of an average, the 21, they're both going to spread. It's going to do this. That, that's all alligator concept. Yeah, I, do alligators go like this? I don't know. I think they do both. So the, the upper Bollinger Band, mathematically, what is it? The middle band is the 21 period moving average. The upper band is two standard deviations above that and two standard deviations below it. Okay? So it's an average plus or minus two standard deviations. The next page is entitled Fibonacci Numbers. So Fibonacci numbers, we talked about this before. It's a sequence that occurs over and over and over again in nature. Sequences come up with start with the number 0 and 1, then add the last two numbers to get the next number in the sequence. What you'll also notice is if you take the last number divided by its predecessor, you get approximately 1.6. It's called the golden ratio. Okay? It doesn't work in the very smaller numbers, but as, as you get further into the sequence, it, all, it works out to approximately 1.6138, something like that. I used to know all this stuff, but I realized I didn't need to know. But you'll see that ratio appear over and over and again in the stock market. Why? I have no idea. I gave up trying to figure out why. I just know that it shows up again and again. I just trust it. Is it 100%? No way. Is it very comfortably consistent? Yes way. Very, very, very nicely. What I'm going to do now, I'm going to look at stock across multiple time frames. So not just a daily chart, I'm going to look at it at a smaller time frame. What's that number of minutes I'm going to look at? It's going to be a Fibonacci number of minutes. Okay? So now, I went through my charts. I found a 3x. I found the triple cross. Now what do I do? First timers going through this. Just stay with me to read it. Do not try and digest it. You're going to go back and re reference this a ton. When it meets the criteria of a 3x, meaning three of the indicators, the red and the green lines have crossed on the same candle, then you're going to analyze it further. It doesn't say that's a trade. That just says, look at me further. Okay, don't mix up the two. You've got to delve deeper at that point. What I want to know is, is there a catalyst for the move? We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Is the direction of the 3x going the same as the trend of the stock? I'll cover that later as well. What does he mean by trend? How do I identify it? We're going to look at a larger time frame to determine that. Then I want to know this. If the 3x is on the daily chart or the 233, which I haven't explained yet, the trend chart I will use is the weekly. So if the 3x shows up on the daily or the 233, its trend is the weekly. If the 3x shows up on a smaller time frame, a 55-minute chart or a 34-minute chart, I'll use the daily chart to determine the trend. If you're scratching your head going, what the heck is he talking about? You're normal. Don't worry about it. you got to experience this stuff and go through it before it starts to sink in. Just go with me on this. There's an art to reading the chart. It's going to take some time to develop. you got to look at these a lot. Remember we talked in the first class about Gladwell's book, where you got to look at 10,000 iterations of something before you kind of get a mastery of it or to recognize it? You're going to do that with charts as well. It's going to take time. What I want you to do, I want you to practice trades that go with as well as against the trend so that you learn to see how they act, how they react. What that will allow you to do is recognize when you're going against the trend, 
You will not stay in that trade for an excessive period of time. It will allow, also allow you to get in, if you want to call it at the corners, when the market is ro- it's going up, it starts to roll in and roll back down. You're getting in basically at the turn. That's cool. That's called calling the top, calling the bottom. That's what you're trying to learn how to do. Okay? So now, once you've found the 3x, how do we act? What do we do to take action? So you found the 3x, you figured out the trend, you've taken into consideration your other factors, you decide you're going to do the trade. So when do we take, how do we enter? What do I do? So what you're going to do, you're going to enter at or very, very near the close of that 3x candle. So Paul, what you were asking about before. So either at or very near the close of that candle or at the beginning of the next candle. So if you see a 3x on Monday, you get in sometime on Tuesday. Or you could get in very, very close to the close on Monday. Just understand that if the stock reverses before it closes, what you thought was going to be a 3x is not, which means you shouldn't be in the trade. So there is a risk you're taking by getting in in advance of the close. You've got to understand that. Say, so, well, why would you even do that? You'll find when you study these, watch it. Who's a veteran? Watch this. New people, turn around, look at this. Veterans, put your hands up. Really high. How many times have you seen a 3x gap the next day in that direction? Anyone seen that? Lots of them. That allows you to get in just in front of a potential gap. It happens a lot. That's the beauty of jumping in very near the close. How many times have you seen a trade almost look like it's going to step near the end and then it goes the other way? Oh, yeah. Right? That's the risk you run. So you got to understand, you know, the, the pro and the con of doing that. How do I know which is which? You'll figure it out with experience. And you're going to be wrong sometimes. That's fine. It's the nature of the beast. You're never going to be 100% at this. The next page is entitled Take Action. Now, when you look to get in, there will be times when you want to do a more precise entry. And well, how do I do a more precise entry? What you're going to do then is you're going to look at an intraday time frame the next day. You're going to use a smaller time frame to view that same chart to look for that same, basically, entry pattern that we saw on the daily chart or on the 233 chart. What time frame would I use? If I saw the 3x on the daily, I'm going to use a 21-minute chart. If I saw it on a 233, what is a 233? It's 233 minutes. So every 233 minutes, I paint a candle. Now, math guys, let's see, the market's open for six and a half hours a day. And there's 60 minutes in an hour. So 60 times six is 360 plus, the market is open for 390 minutes a day. And what I'm gonna do is paint a candle or call a candle closed after 233 minutes. So that says, I'm gonna start collecting data at 6.30 in the morning. And 233 minutes later, I'm going to say done, which works out to be 10.23 a.m. So now at 10.24 a.m., I now start collecting data for the second candle. But it will not have 233 minutes worth of data because there's not that many minutes left in the day. There's only 157 if I do the math right. So your first candle will have 233 minutes. The second candle has only 157. Please, I hope you heard that. Don't send me an email in about a month to say, do you know the second candle has fewer minutes than the first? Did you know that? So if you see the 3x on the 233, you're going to use a 13-minute chart for action. If you see it on a 55, you can use an 8-minute. 
If you drop all the way down to a half hour chart, a 34 minute chart, you can use a five minute chart. Five minute candle, my bad, okay? Using the smaller time frame is optional. It is not required. When would you do it? If you feel the need to have a more precise entry, and if you have the time. Some of you can look, can look at, you don't have to watch the, the market every single minute. How long does it take to paint a 21 minute candle? 21 minutes, kind of a giveaway on that one. So would you need to look at the stock market every minute? Nope, how about every 20 minutes? Yep, do I need to stare at it? Nope, I just do a real quick glance. Does it meet my criteria, yes or no? Move on. You can do it in about 20 seconds. It doesn't take long at all. If you want to do a more precise entry, the other thing you just jump in. Just jump in the pool. Hold your nose first and do not dive in head first and just jump in, okay? Let me answer a different question, see if I got it. If you saw your 3X on a 233, if you then use a smaller, uh, what's the word, a smaller time frame to look for the entry, will you get a better price or a worse price than if you had just jumped in at the close of the 233? And the answer is yes. You will get a better or worse price. I don't know which way it's going to be. <laughs> I don't mean to be smart. Like, sometimes it'll run up. Sometimes it'll keep going up. Sometimes it'll, it'll give you a better entry. I have no way of knowing. But what it does do is if I wait for that action chart, I'm very comfortable by the time I finally do jump in, it's moving in my favor. And so I may have seen as an example, let's say it gave me the entry on a two through three at a hundred bucks. And I decide to wait for a more precise entry. My entry could be under a hundred. It could be 104. It might run up by the, and then do its thing by the time it gives me another entry and then run up from there, right? Because remember, I'm not, it, was, it doesn't say give me a lower price. It says it gives me a more precise entry where I expect to be moving in my favor. So I'm jumping in on the river while it's flowing in my direction. So using a smaller time frame is optional. If you want or have the time, by all means, practice it. The next question comes up. Chris, how often do you use a small chart? Not that often. But remember, I've been doing this for a while, and I sit through pullbacks. I'm sitting, there's times where my portfolio, or the, the trade is down as a result of that. I'm okay with that because I got the comfort and confidence that like, I know stuff will work. And I also know I'm willing to take a loss on that because I, I find if I stare at the market all day, everything looks good. I'm like a kid in a can. I can do this one because I, I have so many different techniques. I'll try and do stuff. I got to step away from it. So also when I do a trade, I'll walk away. Many of you in the room I've spoken to when the market is open. Right? You call, go, oh, are you okay to buy? I was like, no, I'm fine. I may have it on in the background. Right? I've said I pace. Right? I walk up and down. I'm surprised there's still carpeting in the living room because I just pace back and forth. I just walk up and down and up and down, and people say, what's the market doing? I have no idea. You're not in a trade? No, I'm in one. Well, don't you need to watch it? Not till the close. Don't need to check it. So what he's saying is, what I heard him say was, tell me if I'm wrong, on the daily chart, there's more distance between the Bollinger Bands. On a smaller time frame chart, the distance between the Bollinger Bands is much smaller. That's correct. And so what that says is if you're trying to get in at or near the lower band and get out at or near the upper band, where are you going to get more money? Daily chart. There's more movement there. If I do it on an intraday time frame, it's a smaller range between them. I don't get as big a move. Right, what you got? So his question is, if I see the date, let me restate it, and I'm probably not going to say it the same way. So if I see the daily going up and I see a 55 3X going up, okay, cool then you would trade that going up. Does that make sense? 
That's not the way you asked it, but I think that's what you're saying. Okay, no problem. Yes, sir. So his question is, will it, if, it, if so you get your entry, let's say at 100 bucks, and, and you look at the 21, more precise entry, and price keeps running, 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 and it never really gives you an entry until, let's say, 104. Would you still get in? I would look at it and say, what's my profit potential? Do I still have enough profit to make it worth doing the trade? If I do, then I'll do it. If I don't, I'll let it go. Make sense? Oh, I'm sorry, Dan, I didn't see it. So his question is, what I mean by profit potential? What I'm looking to do on trades, when you first are trading as a first timer, what's your exit again? A buck. Get a buck, get out. Lose a buck, get out. Once you get beyond that, I'm going to show you how to get more than a buck. The question is, how far can you run? The way I like to trade, excuse me, pardon me, is to go band to band. So I'm going to get in, not at the lower band, but as it comes off the band, I get in. My target could be the upper band. So I look and see how much, how far is that potential to the upper band? So Dan, is potentially the upper band or any other, other moving averages that would be an intelligent exit to get out? All right, so what I'm going to do on the action chart, precise entry. You look at a smaller time frame. When you see the 3x, let's say on a daily chart, if you drop down to the 21 for a precision entry, you're going to look at that chart, and more often than not, it's going to look like price is on its upper band and it looks like you missed the trade. What you're going to do, you have to learn to develop the patience to wait for a pullback on that chart. So you're going to look for price to drop back down. Ideally, it's going to come back down and on the 21 hit its lower band. Spread the band, come off the band, and give you the setup and go from there. The difference is, on an action, the precise entry, I do not need to have a 3x to enter. I want to have MACD. I want to have three indicators crossing. They don't need to occur on the same candle. So I could have price and stoke on one candle. Two or three candles later, I get MACD. That's when I'm in. On the precision entry. On the lower time frame. Because I'm running with the whole move of the daily going up. I'm not as anal about that entry on the precision entry. Okay? Be aware, last paragraph on there, not all triple crosses will give you a smaller time frame pullback where you can take action. There's going to be some you miss. You don't worry about it. Do not whine about it. Move on. Once you get into the trade, do not watch it on the smaller time frame. So if you get in on the 21, you say, cool, I'm in. I own the stock at whatever price it is. If you sit and stare at it on the 21, it's going to freak you out. You'll get out really quick. Your decision point was on the daily. You watch the stock on the daily chart. The next page is entitled Exit Rules. When it gives you the reason to get out, you get out. When you're starting off, what's your reason to get out again? A buck. What if you lose a buck? A buck. How often do you look at the chart? Every candle. So if it's on a daily chart, you look at it once a day. If you were doing a five-minute chart, don't ever do this, but if you were doing a five-minute chart, how often would you look at it? Every five minutes. That's a job. How do we get out when you're new? By the way, a buck is on the option, which means it'll be about a buck and a half on the stock. Okay. So a buck on the option will equate to about a buck and a half on the stock. So when you get about a buck and a half on the stock, get out. Call it done. Or another exit strategy. 
The red and the green line in price are the two and the three moving average. When they cross going the other way, you could get out then as well. That's one exit point you could use. You gotta wait for the candle to close though. Otherwise you could get out when it's forming a wick. End of the, end of the candle, you go back and look and go, oh man, I shouldn't have been out, it never closed. I go, yeah, you're right, that was a motion. Now you can stay with the strategy of just taking a buck and out, or even the two and the three, your, your trade, your wins will be small, but you'll be really consistent. You can do incredibly well if you just stay there. Nobody ever wants to because the greed kicks in. Everybody wants to get, you know, bragging rights. Oh, I made a ton on this trade. You do incredibly well if you just go with the small wins. Now, go to the, uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. There's a bunch of home run hitter guys in there. There's only a bunch of them. There's a ton of guys in there that hit singles. You can do really well at this if you just hit singles. Again and again and again. Oh, got a loss. Again and again and again. Oh, got a loss. Again and again and again and again. Right? You'll find that people in the room have incredibly long win streaks. Just taking a buck and be done. A buck and be done, a buck and be done. Watch this. Is he here? David, are you here? Hey, what was your, how many did you have at one point? Did he leave? Where's David? He left? Ah, what did he have? Do you remember? How many? Was it 50? 50, so something, it was north of 40. 44, 55, I can't remember, something like that. He had like 40 plus in a row. Lots of people have had 40 plus in a row. It's taking a buck and out. A buck and out, a buck and out. Try and get to this. Your objective, get to 25 in a row at a buck. Go for 25 in a row. Before you think of that, see the line that says once you have lots of experience? Don't even think of going beyond that line till you get about 25 in a row. See how disciplined you can be. How many of you done, Troy? So he didn't have the, I'm gonna pick on you, he didn't have the discipline to stick to 25, because he got to 23 and go, man, look how much more money I can make if I'd have stuck in. What'd the next trade do? Lost. See if you can get to 25 in a row. That will tell you something about your personal discipline. Because what'll happen is you'll get, you know, you'll do a trade, lose one, win one, lose one, then you'll win a couple in a row, then you'll lose one. You go, let me be a little more focused on this. I'm not gonna chase crap. Oh, I got two, three, I got seven in a row, nice. And then the next time you're gonna press enter, you'll think long and hard about it because you don't wanna start over again. Wow, well, let this one go. And whether it would've worked or not doesn't matter. And you'll start, suddenly start to become more discerning and more selective. And then your win streak will go up to eight, nine, 10, 12, and crap, you get a loss. Now the question becomes, it's on you. Now you'll start over again. You'll get four, five, six, ten 10 in a row. Will you be honest with yourself and say you have 10 in a row or you say, well, I got 22 out of 23, that's pretty close, right? Be honest with yourself because your results will show up when you do it with real money. You can lie to yourself on paper all you want, but it, it becomes very clear how you did when you go with real money. So now you get 10 in a row the second iteration through. Now you're up to 13, 14, 15, 16. Now you're up to like 19, 20. Man, you are afraid to press enter because you don't want to have a loss. Think about the mentality on that. Of the last X number of trades, you got you know, 39 out of the last 42. 
That's pretty freaking powerful. And you're afraid to press enter because you don't want your win streak to end. You should have been that discerning on the first trade and on the second one and on the third one. And that will teach you about being disciplined and taking an approach that says, I'm not going to do this unless I'm absolutely comfortable that it's going to win. Because you don't want to have to start back over and start at 1 to get back up to 25. What it does is this. If you can take that approach, that will teach you and give you incredibly high confidence that you can spot an entry. You don't have to worry about the exit. Exit took care of itself because it, buck, buck and a half, you're out. Buck and a half on the stock, you're out. Don't even have to think about the exit. You know now that you nailed the entry. Once you've done that, now we can push the exit a little bit. And that's the part that says once you've got lots, lots of experience, what you can then do for an exit is evaluate the trade, the setup, as the stock approaches the next moving average. You want to be aware of the market seasons, which we'll cover. The tendencies of what goes on most months. How many candles it's been running. And what all the charts and all the indicators are telling you. So that's one choice. Or you could just say, eh, I'm happy, I'm going to get out. But what is that? That's emotions. You have to be intelligent to be happy. It didn't sound right. On your stock trading. <laughs> Right? You want to have intelligent reasons to say, that's enough, I'm going to call it done. As you get experience, you'll find there's an art to exiting. And it definitely takes time to develop that. You've got to see a bunch of these to start to see it. Okay? But that's how we're going to exit. Say it one more time. So Sam, look at, uh, what is this? Look at about August, what is that, July 30th? See, there's the, see the 3X? Got a long lower wick, white candle. So 3X right about here. Ballpark August 30th, it's got a long lower wick, white candle hitting the upper band. Look at the candle next to it. See it's got that long upper wick? Yeah, way outside the band. So now imagine, for whatever, you know, when you see it way outside the band up there, you definitely want to take that. That's on an exit. But on an entry, you got to wait for the candle to close. Because when that thing, at some point, that long upper wick was a big white candle. It didn't turn out that way. You have to wait for the candle to close to make a decision on entering. Make sense? Because at some point during the day, that was a big white candle. So you got to wait for it to close. The next page is entitled Investor Emotions, Bullish Trades. As you go through this, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster like nothing you ain't never felt before. Everybody does it. There's no harm, no foul. We all go through it. What I want you to do, imagine this. On the left side, when you buy in, you're going to buy in at hope. Meaning as soon as you press enter, just before you do, you genuflect, you go, please, God, I hope this works. Right? And then, sure enough, it does. Next candle or two, it rises. Now you're relieved. And then it keeps going. You're optimistic. You start going to... You know, newcar.com. It rises a little bit more. Now you're excited. Now you're getting specific models. Porsche.com. Now it's thrilled. Like, well, I wonder if I should do Mercedes or Lamborghini.com. Then you're euphoric. You cannot buy a hat to fit your head. Right? It is awesome. Now you roll and it starts 
pulling back a little bit. Now you're filled with a little bit of anxiety and dread. It's like, oh man, I was up this much. Now I'm only up a little bit less than that. You start to feel a little bit anxious. It starts coming down further. Now you're in denial. Now it starts falling further. Now you're in fear. Now you start feeling desperate and you get in a panic. At some point you capitulate. Capitulate means you just throw it in. You say, screw it, I'm done. It usually is right about there that it's the bottom. Sometimes you're lucky, though. It goes down a little bit further, so you don't feel so bad. It goes down a little bit further. Now you're feeling despondent and depressed. Then it starts to rise again. And you feel hopeful it's going to keep going up. And then you're relieved that it does. And then you're optimistic that you're on your way to wealth and riches. What I want you to do, that's on the bullish side of things. I want you to buy in at hope. We're not buying at the bottom. You buy in as it comes off the bottom. You buy at hope. And you're going to sell anywhere between relief and euphoria. you got to get out. You should be out by anxiety. You've got to be out by denial. Ideally, you get out somewhere between relief and thrill. So that when you leave, the stock keeps going. Say, well, why don't, why don't I want to get out at the top at euphoria? Because if you train yourself to think that way, Every time you're in a trade, you'll say, what if I just stick around for the next dime? I just want to get a little more, a little more, a little more. That's greed. Write this one down. Greed makes you poorer. Greed will always make you poorer. It is not a good thing. It is fine to leave a little bit on the table for the next guy. How many of you have gone out to dinner in the last week or two? And when you did... Did you eat every morsel of food that was on your plate? Spent it. You spent the money on it. But you sent some back to the kitchen. It doesn't bother you to leave a little bit of money on the table when, it go, when you go to a restaurant. shouldn't bother you in your trade either. Do not try and capture every single dime on the trade. What I would urge you to do, make a photocopy of this page and stick it right above your trading system. And measure how you're feeling. you got to do a self-assessment on these to see where you're at in the continuum. The next page is entitled Investor Emotions, Bearish Trades. The opposite of this is on a bearish trade. Stock's going to run up, and as it starts to roll over, we're going to look to buy puts. When you buy the puts, you buy them at hope. I hope this thing crashes. And then you're relieved that it starts to come down. Then you're optimistic and excited that you're correct. And now it's really starting to come down hard. Now you're thrilled. CNBC's freaking out, sending guys out on the screen that says, you know, we don't know how to find the bottom on this. The only thing we use now is charts because they've got to throw all the fundamental analysis out the window. You're euphoric when you hear that because you are invincible. As it gets down there, now as it starts to recover, it starts to come back up. You're filled with a little bit of anxiety saying, oh, man, I should have sold yesterday or the day before when I had so much more money. Now it's rising some more. Now you're in denial. Same thing on this. I want you to buy puts at hope and you close them anywhere between relief all the way down to invincible, possibly euphoria. You should be getting out of anxiety. You got to be gone by denial. Again, the objective is to not to make, you're not trying to get every dime on the trade. If you do, you just got lucky. You want the chunk in the middle. Stock's going to go from hope all the way down to euphoria. You just want a chunk of that. Full range of movement, you just want a chunk of the middle. Over time, you're going to take a bigger chunk. 
but you're never going to get it all. And over time, even if you kept the chunk small, all you're going to do then is bump your trade size. Doing the same thing again and again and again. The next page is entitled, Remove the Emotions of Money. This kind of gets in people's heads. Why are you doing the trades? Oddly enough, it's not to make money. Making money is the end result. You do the trades to trade well, because you want to do them correctly. Talked about this earlier after lunch. If you focus on the account balance, you're going to screw it up, because your emotions will get in the way. The objective is to make a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. If you do that, now we're trading well. If you're trading well, the money follows. But all boils down to making the brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. Early on, we're going to talk about rules and things over the next few weeks. You're going to unintentionally break rules because you don't know. That's why we paper trade. Early on, you're going to let your emotions get the best of you. You say, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just paper. You're going to see. Just I want to see what would happen. As you get deeper into your paper trading, you realize, let me learn to recognize the emotion, recognize the reaction of the emotion, and then control the reaction to the emotion. That's going to take time. Your challenge then becomes, you know, I said before you should do 20 in a row, 25 in a row winners. Change the challenge. Change it to be bricks where you do not break the rules. You pull your emotions out of the equation as much as you can. So if you want to start off doing a win streak measurement, that's fine. Later on, switch it to a brick measurement and see how you do. And that means making a brick says you do not break the rules. Do not let your emotions get in the way as best you can. That's the objective with this. It sounds very kind of like Zen-esque, if you will, but it's incredibly mental as you go through this. Story on myself. Um, well, let me back up on this. What you want to say, if you want to make it a mantra, I'm going to make a brick. I will make a brick. And it doesn't matter where you put the emphasis. You can say, I will make a brick, or I will make a brick, or I will make a brick. I will make a brick. I don't care how you say it. The result's the same, make a brick. Story I've got on myself on this one. A number of years ago, I got into a private placement. Basically, a pre-public offering of a company. They were doing, in fact, I've seen now the, the feature is available. Um, I think Google does it or Gmail does it. What these guys had was the idea that when an email came in, they would, they would read through the email automatically and categorize it into a project folder. So you could have your email go into whatever thing and then just read it that way. The company was called Foldera. It was like folder with an A. Awesome idea. When they, I bought in, I put 40 grand into it. And as they were, they were going to go public in like three months or two months, a very, very short time. They were going to do a, what they call not a shell offering. It was a, buy an existing company role. I can't remember how the mechanics on it, but it ended up where they were going to come public very quickly. So I had to sit on it for just like six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. And the expectation was it was going to rocket because Microsoft was sniffing around. They had uh, meetings with, I think his name was Ray Ozzy, the guy that was, used to be with Lotus. Moved over to Microsoft, did all these guys sniffing around. I was like, oh, this is great. And so when they came public, my, I bought shares for a buck a piece. The stock did a split, did a four for one split. By the time it was done, it peaked out at, I don't remember the number, it was like three and a quarter, something like that. So it worked out just, I basically had 12 to one on my money. My 40 grand was worth almost half a million dollars. And nothing had been acquired in the company. And all the, everything was wonderful about this. And I had visions, I went, um, not surfing, but um, paddling. Before stand-up, I was on the surfboard just paddling around and kayaking around through Huntington Harbor. 
there's a home in there. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but if you drive through there, it is the most beautiful home in Huntington Harbor. It has my name on it, on the front door. I was going to use the gains off of Foldera to pay for it. Right, with other stuff I've got saved, I was like, I'm just writing a check for granted. It's going to be done. I own it. <laughs> I'm going to name it Foldera. That was my thought. And right about that, not long before my, we'll edit that one out, please. My space had been acquired for, I don't know, a few billion dollars. So I had visions of this thing going, right? It's like, oh, this is going to be great. And then it started to pull back a little bit. So I took a little bit off the table. I got my money back and then some. And I still own 120,000 shares of this thing. The last time I looked is worth three cents, not per share, three cents. So basically a half a million dollars, I pulled some off, but down to three cents. Why? Greed. Pure, unadulterated greed. And I was looking at it, I thought about, when I sold some, I thought about dumping a bunch more. And I had this little voice in my head saying, you're going to be a fool. If this thing gets acquired for, you know, bazillion dollars, and you had, you know, 40 grand that was half a million, and you could have sold for three million, and you got half a million, what an idiot you're going to feel like. But I'd have been a half a million dollars richer idiot than three cents richer idiot, right? So always remember, greed will make you poorer. I hope none of you learned that lesson. I still have those shares. I could have written them off as a tax loss. I keep them on my portfolio. So every time I open that thing up, it always is a stark reminder of that. Always, always, always plan on closing the trade. You've got to have the trading plan. Stick to your plan. It's all about making the brick. I learned a great lesson on that one, though. They started; they were a literally a garage in Santa Ana, and as they started to come out, um, there's a. If any of you are familiar with Huntington Beach on the corner of uh, Warner and Magnolia, there's a, about a 15, 20 story high rise right there that has a, had a number of company names across the top. At one point, a few years ago, Foldero was across the top. If you ever own a small company and they go from a garage to putting their name on a high rise, sell the bitch. <laughs> Right? That is a clear indication they are way bigger than their britches. I mean, you learn all, and stuff you can only learn from experience. The next page is a 233 chart of Alexion. Here's Alexion. Looks similar to what we saw before. So this is Alexion, similar to what we had before. I added a circle. On the far left, you see this big black brick looking thing. That is the data brick. That will be in your charts. What will happen is, when you put your cursor over any one of the candles, any one of those vertical lines, the values in that data brick are going to change. So the values in the brick show you what the date is that we're looking at. So wherever the cursor is, that's October 8th. The 233 candles, so the candle started at 9.30 in the morning, New York time. Always remember, these are set for New York time, by the way. You will find, as you go through this, you will think in East Coast time. Just be aware. So you get used to that odd trait. So it shows me the time, 9.30 candle. It's the opening price of that candle, the high, the low, the close of that candle. CSR percentage, don't worry about it. Number of bars, I'll explain later. Yeah, I wouldn't even worry about it. Uh, let me explain it real quick. If you do a single left click in the price area and then move left or right, it will count the number of bars from where you made that left click. That's all it does. Um, next one I don't worry about, bar LX, whatever it is, don't worry about it. 
Next three values, Bollinger Band, upper band, lower band, the BA is the basis line. It's the 21 period moving average. So it's just the value of those indicators, if you will, those, those um, moving averages at that point in time where the cursor is. The, the value of the 200, the value of the 50, and then the value of the plus DI and the minus DI. Those are the directional indicators of the red and the green lines at the bottom. So that's what the data brick shows you. Okay? No. His question is, do I show MACD in the data brick? I do not. Because I just see if it's crossing right there. What I do show on MACD, didn't explain this before. Look on this chart. See where there's how many circles on the right? Five, right? We've talked about price. We've talked about stoke. We talked about MACD. And then there's another line in there. It's that, wherever that thing is, looks like a comb. And then the one below it is directionals. We've talked all of them except the second one off the bottom. That second circle off the bottom on the right is called the MACD histogram. Histogram. What it does, it's vertical lines. Those vertical lines measure the distance between the red and the green line of MACD. If those vertical lines are above the zero line, then red is north of green. If those vertical lines are south of the zero line, then red is south of green. Notice on that far right edge, notice how the histogram, one candle to the left of the right edge, was positive. Notice on the far right edge, it is negative. What does that tell you? It says MACD crossed. If you're ever not sure if MACD crossed, look at the histogram. If it changed from either above or below the basis line, you know it crossed. Sometimes it'll be a little tiny blip. It'll look like the smallest dot you can imagine. Is that a cross? Yep. What if there's a little tiny blip and it's still above? That ain't a cross. What if it's right on the zero line? Right there. You'll learn over time. You just, you, there's an art to this. You've got to just look at it a bunch and see. Because remember, you're not just looking at MACD. You're looking at all the, all the features, all the, all the elements in aggregate. 90-year-old woman, brain dead, life support, oxygen tank, the full nine yards. The next page is the daily chart for Alexion. So we saw the 233. We looked at it the first candle, or second candle. Here's what it looks like on the daily chart. Notice the daily chart and price crossing. Stoke is crossing. MACD crossing. Directionals just about there. Notice the directional, that one kicked off a low and then turning up just about to cross. So that's what the daily looked like at the time of the 233. What the weekly look like? This one's a little bit harder to do. And the reason why is I went back in time. You'll notice that when the 233 crossed, the price was 115. Here it's 111 because it went down four bucks and it finished finally painting the daily candle. Look at the indicators there. What is price doing? It's hitting the band, coming off the band. What is Stoke doing? At this point, it's crossing or crossed. Would it have crossed at 115? I don't remember. I have to go back. I can't go back and look. I don't know. But it's darn close, right? What is directionals doing? Not crossing, okay? So that's what the weekly chart looked like when I was looking at that 233 entry. The next page is entitled, For More Precise Entry, Go to a Smaller Chart. What if I wanted to do a more precise entry from that 233 setup? 
From a 233 chart, I drop down to a 13-minute chart. The next page is entitled Alexion, example of an entry on a smaller chart. So here's what the 233 looked like when I got my 3x. So what do I do now? I, and that page that says, when I see a 3x, what do you do? It says, go to the action chart. The action chart on this is a 13. So I go to a 13-minute chart. That circle in the upper left is what the 13 looked like when I had the 3x on the 233. So you can see it took one, two, three full days, or two full days and then part of a third day before I saw the entry here on the far right edge on Thursday the 11th. So my 3x occurred on October 8th. My precision entry did not occur until October 11th. My 3x occurred at about 115 and change. My precision entry occurred just south of 112. See that? Now remember what I'm looking for. I want to see it. Remember I said I want, ideally I want to see it come down, hit, and I'm going a trade going south, bearish, which means I want to see it do a pullback, which means it would be a bullish move up, a pullback on the 13. And ideally it hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, get all the indicators crossing. Back here late in the day on Wednesday, the 10th, hit the band and spread the band, I'm good. Right, early on the 11th, coming off, everything crossed, coming back down here later in the day, or mid-morning, latter morning on the 11th. Entry there, close of the candle, 112.52. So I'm in with puts at 112.52. What's my exit? A buck, buck and a half on the stock, but a buck on the option. So 112.52, so that means I'd want to get out at about 111. Right, 111 or lower would be my exit. That's all I'm looking to do, okay? So that was a bearish setup. What's a bullish setup look like? Just the opposite. Flip it over. So this is Holly Frontier, oil-related company. What time frame is this? How do you know? Well, because it says in the stuff I typed in, but how do you know just looking at the chart? See that red circle up there on the upper left? It says HFC 233. So 233 chart, price, hit the band, coming off the band, crossing. Stoke, crossing. MACD, crossing. Directionals, crossing. Is that a 3x? Yep. So now I've analyzed it further. What's the daily look like? Daily, poised to cross, not crossing on price. Stoke, crossed. MACD, crossed. Directionals, not there yet. What does the weekly look like? Again, how do I know it's a weekly chart? Upper left says W. Look at the weekly chart. Now remember, this is the end of the week, so it was only 41 something when I was looking at it. So that candle would have been a little smaller. Not crossing on the daily, I'm sorry, not crossing in the price area, but it is coming off the lower band. You see that? Look at the daily chart. See there, it's 41 and change. And you look at the weekly chart, you say, hey, it's 43. Are you pulling a fast one on me? I'm not. When I back up in time, that was what the weekly candle closed at. I can't Q-Charts doesn't allow me to adjust it to say it was 41. Even with that, I see that price had not crossed, although it was coming off the bands. Stoke, crossing, MACD, not there yet. If I look at MACD, what direction is it pointing? Great example on this one. How long since MACD crossed? Count the number of candles, somebody. 17? Something like that? So ballpark 17 candles, give or take. Yeah, so I'm looking at since MACD crossed on the weekly chart back here in, what's that, about February? I'm counting these number of histogram bars that are under the zero line. 18. Wow. How weird. 
What you'll find, jot this down, I don't know why, it is very rare to see a, once MACD crosses, it's very rare to see it go beyond ballpark 18 candles before it crosses again. Now, you'll find, watch, this one will run 20 just because I said that. Within about that number of candles, MACD will cross going the other way. It's rare to see it extend beyond the high number of teens with regard to candles. Sometimes it'll cross again in two, three, four candles. It's really rare to see one that goes north of 20, right? Even in the high number of teens. So if you see a move, and so understand, we've been going down now since, you know, ballpark February. We're now in, or whatever that is, yeah, February, March. It was a weekly chart, and now we're approaching July. We've been coming down for 17 weeks, 17 candles. It's really rare to see something go down beyond the high number of teens before MACD goes the other way. If you had been in this trade coming down, you say, I'm looking for a reason to get out. Count back one, two, three, four candles. See that big red candle outside the bands? Now granted, we're not gonna trade off a weekly chart, but in concept, that had been a reason to get out, outside the bands. Close your bearish trade. And then you also could say, wow, we've been down for 13, 14 candles. A reason to get out. That's some intelligence. Say, well, let me wait one more. I just, I want to, I don't want to do HuntingtonHarbor.com. I want to do Newport Coast, top of the hill next to Kobe.com, right? Because I'm going to get really rich on this trade. Let me sit through one more candle. And then it starts to go back up against you. That's what we call anxiety, right? You say, well, I, you know, I'm a big boy. I, I wear big boy undies. Let me see if I can stick it out a little longer. And you go, yeah, I was right. One more candle, it turns red on that next one. I can be Kobe's neighbor up there. That's cool, right? That's pure, unadulterated greed. Close the damn trade. Because now you've been 16 candles in, you're outside the bands, there's no reason. Could it go all the way to zero? It certainly could. But you don't need to see it. You do not need to be in it. Okay? Someone had a question, I cut them off. Her question is, does that factor, does that function, does that trait appear on all charts? Yes. Remember, all charts look the same. It doesn't matter if it's a one-minute chart or a weekly chart. The only way you know it's a one-minute versus a weekly chart is by looking up at that letter way up at the very top up there. Other than that, if I covered these things across the bottom, you wouldn't know if that was a one-minute chart or a, one -year, or a monthly chart, a weekly chart. You wouldn't know. So all the charts look the same. The only thing that makes it different is the time frame across the bottom. Number candle still applies. So this question is, how would, you, how would I interpret this chart? So I look at it and say, well, on, what is price doing? Price is coming down and hit the bands, coming off the bands. Hasn't crossed up yet. Stoke is coming down, down near zero. Starting to turn back up. MACD is still pointing down. Red is under green. It's like, well, that tells me there's still more down to go. On the other hand, I count the number of candles that's been running down for seven, whatever we said, 17, 18 candles. It's probably nearer its end of its move than its beginning of the down move, right? That's the way I would interpret it. So that would say then, if it's going to rise from here, I'm getting in very close to the bottom. Remember I said before about catching the corner? I'm not catching right at the absolute low on this thing's down near what, 39 and a half, something like that. I'm getting up at like 41. I've already, I've missed 5% off the bottom. That'll start getting in your head. You can't worry about it. You'll never get in at the bottom. So it's up five, maybe even 10% off its low. And now you're jumping in because you want to jump in as it's 
rising, not when it's down at dead. You got to let it be lifting and then jump in. Silly analogy, just to make the point. Since you asked, I got to pick on you. You're a dumb bird, literally a dumb bird. You're sitting on a wire in Florida near Cape Canaveral. You know that there's this big white rocket thing. You don't know what it is, but this big white something or other that sits there and says these letters USA. You don't know what it means. And about every six months or a year, all your fellow dumb birds, they're dumber because you don't see them anymore. Whenever there's this big rumbling of earth and smoke and flame all shoot up, they all fly into it and they're dead. You, on the other hand, hung back just to kind of watch and see what happens. And what you figured out is whenever that rocket starts, whenever the earth starts to rumble and you see flame and smoke, that big rocket starts to lift and then it goes so high you can't see it anymore. It flies higher than you can ever fly as a bird. And you think, you know, I'm a betting bird. I'd like to bet that that thing's going to rise. So you could put your bet on it right now, but it might take six months before that spacecraft takes off or the rocket takes off. You've learned that if you just wait for the earth to rumble, and you also know, hey, wait, if I hear this big, loud, booming voice say, 10, 9, 8, 7, 3, 2, 1, we have liftoff. And then you see the smoke and the flame, and then it starts to lift. If you wait to then to set the trade, then you can ride it up. But you can't get in when it's on the ground, because you you're a dumb bird. You don't know when it's going to lift. The only way you know is when you see all those factors, the countdown, the smoke, the flame, the earth rumbling, and then it starts to lift. Now you do the trade. Stupid example, but it's the same thing. And so what you want to do is you don't want to get in at the bottom. You want to wait till it's rising, till it's lifting. And then you look to do the trade. Silly example? Kind of makes a point. The next page is entitled, Holly, here's what happened to Holly Frontier on the 233. All right, so here's what happened with Holly Frontier. There's that pink vertical line on July 8th, July 9th, something like that. There was our entry there at what, 41 and a half, something like that? Look at MACD. MACD went back and crossed down on about July 18th, 20th, something like that. Right? Look what price did. Price went up and it shot a wick up to the upper band. If your objective was a buck and out, you get out when you're up or down a buck. You might have taken a loss on that one or very close to it. If your objective is to go for the upper band, you would have got it, you could have gotten out right near that upper band up there. Right? Anyone there would have been fine. As MACD crossed back down, you got to get out there. That's your anxiety denial point. If you got out there, you took a small gain, maybe break even. Okay? So his question is: you can get out at a buck, right? Buck buck for you, buck against you on the option, buck and a half on the stock. Or you can get out when the two and the three cross against you. So see on the, let's see. So you got in there on the gap. You got one, two, three, four, and then there's that big red candle down. See where red and green crossed against you? If you got out there, how much did you lose? Pennies. Your loss was incredibly small. Like, oh, nice. Say, yeah, yeah, but I want wins. Actually, you don't. This is so counterintuitive. What you want, write this down, you want your losses to be small. If you'll focus on small losses, the wins will take care of themselves. You could get out there. I mean, if you remember what I said, the exit you could use when the two and the three go against you. That qualified. One of those two candles you could have gotten out. And you would have taken, I don't know what that is, 50 cents, maybe a buck. It's going to be a small loss, and MACD had not crossed. Right? Understand. Understand. It's kind of, you know, if you get out every time it goes against you, your losses will be small, and you'll miss the opportunities for the big moves. But you will always, always, always have small losses.
which is cool. But then you don't want to stick in and say, well, I got, uh, I've only lost 80 cents. Let me just stick around because I know I'm going to lose more because everything's going against me, right? So you would, I mean, if everything's turning against you, get out. On the other hand, if it's an emotional where you're like, oh, I'm down 80 cents. I don't want to take it. I got to get out, right? And if you're dealing with the fear aspect of it, then no, you have to wait for the dollar. So it depends on the psychology that's going on in your head as well as what the chart is doing. Huge mental crap that runs through your head in doing this. Ideally, early on, let it take you out at a buck. Buck on the option, buck and a half on the stock. The challenge comes in though, you look and say, what, you know, I'm gonna get out at a dollar and a half. It's down a dollar 39. Did I stick around for that extra dime? Stick around, be disciplined. On the other hand, if all the indicators have pointed down, you're down that's the reason to get out. And you're only, you only lost a dollar 39, call it done. So the answer is it depends what the charts are telling you. The different answer is you don't trade your account balance, right? Early on, you say buck, buck and a half, you're out. You start, but if you start staring at it too much, it really gets in your head. How's that for a non-answer? Did well, huh? All right, others? Good. Here's what happened to Holly Frontier on the daily chart. All right, so here's what happened on the daily chart. Look how MACD never crossed. Ran all the way up to the upper band. You could have, if you were using an upper band as a target, it's again beyond a buck, buck and a half to get out. You could have gotten out somewhere near there. Notice price never violated the three through there. You could have got out when it hit the 50. It cleared the 50, you could have said, if it breaks below the 50 on the downside, I'll get out, it never did. It got up and kissed the 200, you could have got out up there. So anywhere between, what's that, 47? All the way down to about 44, 45, something like that. Any one of those would have been an intelligent exit. How do you know which one to do? Whichever one you wrote down. Say, well, I got to there. Let me stick around a little bit longer. That's called graduating from Honda.com to high-end Toyota.com. Well, let me see if I can go for Porsche.com. You can't do that. You got to write it down, and then whatever you wrote down, take it. Proper entry, intelligent exit. What's the last part? According to plan. You got to write this stuff down. What'll happen is you will shift your exit if you don't write it down. And definitely what's gonna happen is if you close it according to plan with a small gain, you just know it's gonna keep going because you're not in. And you have to get comfortable with that. Happens to all of us. It's gonna to happen to you many, 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 many times. You don't worry about it. Because the objective is to get a piece of the middle. That's all we're trying to do. The next page shows what happened with Holly Frontier on the weekly chart. Here's what happened on the weekly chart. Notice how the candles went up and hit the middle band. That is at the point where it hit the 200. It's up near 46 and change, maybe as high as 47. The next page says Apple at its peak of September 19th, 2012. Next chart, question comes up. These indicators work pretty well? Yep, they work really well. Apple, a few years ago, Everybody and their brother, every time you turn on CNBC, all they talked about was Apple. Oh my God, how high is Apple gonna go? Going to the sky, everybody's gonna get rich. This is wonderful. September 19th, 2012, so two years ago it peaked at 700 and change. It finally just recovered to that. You realize that? Just hit 100 last couple of weeks. We finally recovered back to what it was. It peaked out at 704, if I remember the number right. Look at that, as it crossed back down, Cross in price, crossed on stoke, 
crossed on MACD. Roll back over. If you're a veteran student, there's divergence there. You see that? On Stoke. If you're a newbie, I'll explain it later. Get all the signals for the thing to get a down trade. The next page says Apple. Check the weekly at the top. Weekly at the top. What did it look like? Hit the band, spread the band, come off the band. Indicators crossed. Interesting. What did it do? Next page. How far did it fall? That big oblong circle is what it looked like up at the top. The weekly chart. That was in September. By ballpark late March, it gone from about 700 down to about 400. Right on 700, what's that? A 40, somebody do the math. It's a big drop, whatever it is. A lot of give back and profit on that. And all the way down, the people that are the Apple pundits going, yeah, but we're going to have iPhone 3 and iPhone 4, iPhone 4 and all that's going to save it. Right? Doesn't matter. Not saying the company is bad. You trade what the chart is doing. What did it do? It came down, it bounced off the 200. Good point. Look where MACD finally crossed. So you see it crossed on the down in that oblong circle back in September. Follow MACD. It never crossed going back up until, what's that, about March, February, March? Just turned back up there, ballpark in the range of 400. Did it call the absolute bottom? Nope. But it got as low as about 400 when MACD turned north and then went lower down to about 383.90. That ain't bad. His question is, can you stay in these that long off the weekly? It takes guts. Yeah, it does. Because, but if you look at it, you know, I don't trade off the weekly, I trade off the daily. But if you see it, this thing was extended, right? If everybody and their brother's talking about it, there's nobody left to buy, right? And as it comes down, you look at MACD, more room to go. And so as you study this stuff, remember, what do I love again? Why do I love it? Look at that. Look at the move down. Look what MACD did. It never crossed back up. 24. A long move. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Ben. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I could have got out right here. Exactly. See this point? Came down here. I could have got out right there, down at the low, somewhere in that wick where it pierced it down in October, November. Right? So I would have been in at, what do we say, 690, 680, something like that. Down there to, what's that, about 470? Still a nice trade. I understand. He said, can you stay in them that long? It takes a lot of guts. Oh, everything looks beautiful in hindsight. Yeah. I'm a really smart guy in hindsight. I understand, but remember, I'm not looking at Stoke on the exit. I love MACD. Do you want to trade that stock from that point where it went outside the bands back in October, November of 12? As it's running up there, MACD never crossed north on the weekly. Do you want to trade that up? Nope. But now as it rolls down there, that was probably a big earnings announcement. And they, they gapped down on earnings would be my guess. I don't know. Where is your next trade on Apple? It's going down because you're going with the weekly. The question will be whether or not you got an entry on the daily or 233. I don't recall. But the point is to try and trade this up through here is risky because you're going totally against the weekly says we're going to go down for, oh, by the way, when I see a cross on one of these, if I see it on the daily, how long will that move last? Days. If I see it on a weekly chart, if I see a cross on a weekly, how long will that move last? Weeks. If I see it on a five-minute chart, how long will that move last? Some number of five-minute intervals. Up to how many? Ballpark 18. 
So if I see it on a daily chart, I can expect, not expect, but the most the move is going to last is probably about 18 days. Right? Some will go a little bit more, but generally I don't want to go much further than that. Which is why when I'm doing a trade on the daily chart, how long am I in this thing? A few days, a few weeks. That's it. What if I do it on a 55-minute chart? How long am I in it? Some number of 55-minute intervals up to about how many? The high number of teens. That's it. That's all we're doing. I don't want to repeat her question. Understand, she took this class for the first time in the summer. Your second time hearing this, isn't it? She's been working on the charts. She already figured that out. What she said was when the histogram is really, really wide, it's not likely to turn back up again and snap back the other way. That's with about two or three months of experience studying this stuff. You think she'd been doing this for years. She'd been doing this for less than three months. Put in, and she puts in the effort every day. Put in the effort, you'll start to see this stuff. She sends me notes, boost you a little bit. These charts talk to you. I know, they talk to me too. It's kind of weird. She goes, it's so weird. My boyfriend thinks I'm nuts. He's sitting next to her. Right? You just got to do the work on this stuff. You'll start to see, a, there's a ton of subtleties that are in this that there's no way I can explain to a beginning class. I'm losing you already, and I'm just hitting the surface. There's so much more detail you can see on this, and all it comes from is just sitting studying these things, making notes. She came up on the break and said, wow, it's so weird. I went, it's like you said, when I first started, I looked at what I noticed on a chart, and I wrote down a couple of thoughts. Now I look at my trades going on. She said, I'm writing half a page and analyzing this, all the stuff that I'm seeing on the charts. That just comes with experience. I got a guy in the back going, yep, yep, I know exactly what he's talking about. You just got to keep doing it. It starts to come. The next page is titled Baidu 233. Next one is Baidu. This is December of 2012. Awesome setup. Great one to go back and study. Daily chart. Entry there at about 90, I'm sorry, 233. Entry there at about 91 and change. Price coming off the band. Stoke crossing. MACD crossing. A divergence on MACD as well. You even had divergence on Stoke. Cover that a little bit later. Directionals were crossing. Daily chart. Divergence as well on Stoke and MACD. Price crossing, 91.75. Stoke is crossing. MACD is crossing. Directionals are not. So enter there a little bit north of 91. Weekly chart at that time. Bouncing off the 200. Stoke about to cross. MACD poised. ADX looks quite high. I'll cover that later. The next page says Baidu. How far did it run? What did it do? Entry there on the far left was at 90, call it 92. Ran up there, see how MACD didn't cross down until it hit the upper band there. Letter December at about 101. At about a 10% move on the stock. 10% on the stock will generally give you the very high double digits on the option. 40, 50, 60, depending on what option you buy. The next page is a more precise entry for Baidu on a 233. If you wanted a more precise entry off this one, there's your 233 entry, or your signal on the 233. The next page is Baidu, an example of an entry on a smaller chart. You could drop down to a, what, a 13-minute chart? Your entry didn't come till a few days later, and it came in at a price point of about 97. Now notice what I'm doing. I'm waiting for the price. Follow this up from the far left side. 
I'm wait, and we our initial entry was on December, what did I say, 11th? December 10th. I can only take this chart back to the 11th. So there you go, far left edge. That's what the price looked at at its close. So 91 and change, call it 92. What I'm looking for on the precision entry, I'd like to see price do its thing. I want to see it pull back, hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, have the indicators cross. It did not need to be a 3x, but I want to have them all cross. I got to have which one again? MACD. So I didn't get that until the morning of the 13th. Finally gave it to me in the 96, 97 range. Wow, five bucks off that entry. Exactly. Question. Mm -hmm. His question is, is this a tweezer that I haven't explained yet on the, far, on the weekly chart for Baidu a couple pages back? That red and the white candle? No, I want to see the candles outside the bands. His question is, why wouldn't I get in at the end of the day on the 11th? Is that right? Because what I prefer, you could. What I prefer to see, I want to see it hit the, band, hit the opposite band, spread the band, come off and go. That's why. If you did Baidu on a 55-minute trade, the next page shows the Baidu 55-minute chart. There was my 233 entry on the left side, that circle on the far left. I want to see it hit the band, spread the band, come off the band. It never got near that lower band until the 17th, even into the 18th. And it never hit the band and spread the band, but it held at the 200 and then lifted from there. Not the best of entries. That didn't give you anything till north of 100. Uh, so about 98, something like that. A little bit higher price. So doing a precision entry or a smaller time frame does not always give you a better price. Don't mistake the two. Using Baidu again, if you used a 55-minute chart, you would use what chart for your trend? Your daily. So here's the daily chart to look at trend. When I look at that, look in the price area. See a red's on top of green? It says we're going up. Stoke, going up. MACD, going up. What direction do I expect this stock to run for a few days? Up. So I could get in it for a few hours expecting it to go up. I talked before, the next page now, says relationship between candles and Bollinger's. I talked before about how Bollinger's, when they're, uh, sorry, when price candles are outside the Bollinger bands, what happens? They come back in. So here's an example of one. On about May 3rd, who's this? This is Baidu daily chart. On May 3rd, see those couple of candles outside the bands? What did price do? Came back inside the bands. A couple days later, look on about May 17th or so. Price is outside the bands. What does it do? Snaps back inside the bands. None of those are entries by themselves, but on a big picture, it says we're probably likely to come back inside the bands. Next page. In your candle patterns section that we covered earlier today, we talked about tweezers. There's something called a tweezer top and a tweezer bottom. Here's an example of a tweezer bottom. In that highlighted area on about June 4th or so, one, two, three, four, about five or six candles left of the right edge. There is a big red body candle that closes outside the bands. It is followed by a white body candle coming back inside the bands. That is what I call a tweezer bottom. When you see that, price tends to jump back inside. 
You see, in this example, it went from outside the band all the way to the upper band. So tweezer bottom, big red candle, followed by, sorry, red candle closing outside the bands, followed by a white candle coming back inside the bands. Is a tweezer bottom. Next page, tweezer top. It's not the best example, but it is one. Where I see white candle closing outside the bands, followed by a red candle coming back inside the bands. That is a tweezer top. Yeah, you can look at it and say, is that a shooting star? Whatever the candle pattern is, that's fine. But you're looking at it, both of them, so you call that a tweezer. You will find that the batting average on these is surprisingly high. Surprising, not surprisingly. It's a very, very nice batting average on these. Practice these a bunch when you see them. Now, it doesn't mean you just get in because you could drop down a time frame to look for an entry on a smaller intraday time frame on these. But you'll find that your batting average is really nice with these. Where do you tend to see a lot of these? When stocks are extended or have been hammered down very low. What's the whole market been doing lately? Run it up. There's a lot of stuff that's extended. When you get your charts, make a mental note, go back and look for a bunch of these of late and you'll see they all work really well. Does the technique or the methodology catch market tops and bottoms? The market bottomed on March 9th, 2009. See where that line is on about March 10th? This is the spiders. This is the ETF for the S&P 500. Spiders bottomed out at 666. Little devil sign in there. One day or two days later, it got up to 72. So you were 10% off the bottom. Within one day of the bottom, this thing signaled. Kind of an annoying story. I bought a stock on that day. Really beautiful entry on a daily chart. Just beautiful entry. It's very, very difficult to buy when the whole world is saying we're going to end soon. Finance industry as we know it is going to be poof gone. You listen to CNBC and go, oh my God, the world, do not buy a stock. And I'm in there going, buy. <laughs> it's really difficult to do. And then the next day it runs up, you're like, this is great. And then the next day it drops a little bit. When you're, write this down, when you're in a trade, you always watch, you watch all the charts at all times. At cat, all the charts all the time. Do not get freaked out by the smaller charts because you're watching the bigger ones. I had it in my head listening to, I mean, it's hard to ignore it. You hear the, the cacophony, the drumbeat of, Bearish, 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 bearish. You got to be careful. Don't buy stocks right now. And here I am buying. And then the stock that I'm in, I see it pulling back a little bit. It's like, oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I should sell. I glanced at a 55 and everything said on there said, this thing's going down. So what did I do? I listened to my emotions and closed it. And it did. It went down for a couple hours. Um, probably about two months later, the stock had doubled. Like, oh, that didn't feel too good. And so you understand, you got to be very careful. Do not let people get in your head when you make a trade. You'll hear me sometimes in the class, and if a lot of you have run into me in like trading sessions, seminars, discussions, whatever. If I'm sitting, and I don't really talk about what I do when I'm in those, 
But I'll listen to some guy, some guy will stand up and go, well, I think, you know, ABC stock is going up or ABC stock is going down. If I happen to be in that trade and he says it, you'll hear me mumble audibly, not to be rude. I'll just say to myself, that guy's an idiot. Didn't know what he's doing. And I say that not to be disparaging to him, is to tell me, don't let him influence you. He's an idiot. He doesn't know. It also will happen if I'm watching CNBC or have it on and somebody comes on, some talking head, and says, you know, what stocks do you like? Wow, we love this one and this one. I was like, oh, crap, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that he likes it because I don't want to let that get in my head to influence me to stay in longer than I should. Conversely, if they say, what stocks are you panning? Oh, we hate ABC stock. And if I just bought it, I got to say, you know, this guy's the leading hedge fund manager of the world. I go, oh, he's an idiot because <laughs> I'm going the other way. You cannot let other stuff get in your head. It's for that reason I won't talk about trades that I'm in when I'm in them. For no re other reason, I don't want to influence you guys. I don't want to let you influence me. And so I won't talk, I can't do it. I can't talk about live trades because that's giving advice. But even on trades that I'm in, one, I don't want you dogpiling in on something because I may close it out first thing in the morning. I don't have to tell you. And two, I don't want to hear any of your undue influence getting in my head. It's, it's amazing the, the psychological crap you got to go through. Your confidence is the most crucial part of this. And you cannot let anybody get in your head. It's really tough to get them out. So you learn to have, his question is, what, if all the talking heads will do is get in your head and mess you up, why watch them? Don't. But you, what you'll learn to do is you'll have CNBC on, on in the background for noise. And, everyone, and you'll, your, eye will, your ear will learn to pick up something that sounds like a nugget. And that's what you'll focus on. It's no different than, have you been to a restaurant recently? How long ago? Okay. In that restaurant, were, there were you in a booth or anything? Was there people beside you? Did you listen to their discussion? <laughs> so you didn't listen to the discussion. But if they had said something that was totally out of the ordinary, your ear would have picked it up. I understand. But you see my point, though? But it's that kind of a thing. I, I don't know if I said the story before. I tell the story about the restaurant where I did the first class with the guy. And the, uh, the waitress stood up and, or the hostess said, can I get everybody's attention? I tell the story in this class? So a few years ago, I'm doing the first, a guy missed the first class. He said, I could do a makeup session. So I met him for lunch at Polly's up on Atlantic off the 405. I go up there about 2, 2, 3 in the afternoon, have a quick bite, and I'm just running through the first class very quickly with him. And it's he and I at a table near the back. There's an emergency exit from me to here, or from me to that door. And we're talking, we're in the middle, and all of a sudden the hostess announces very loud voice, excuse me, can I get everybody's attention? And I just stood up and said, let's go. And I kind of grabbed him. And I, I said, let's go. And I started walking. That. He goes, what are you doing? Let's go. I said, what are you doing? Oh, let's go. And, and then she said, if you'll put your business card out, we're having a drawing for a free pie. I said, oh, cool. I let, you know, what? He said, what the hell was that? I said, dude, you never saw Pulp Fiction? <laughs> and I grew up in the city. If some, in a restaurant, how often does somebody walk in or does the hostess stand up in the middle of the place and say, can I get everybody's attention? It's either a holdup or a fire. I mean, think about it. What else would it be? It could be a free pie. <laughs> but even so, and so when I first heard that, it's like two of those, I didn't even think of free pie. Both of those are bad situations. Right? I don't want to be there. So I was grabbing him and let's just get out of here. What are you doing? Right? It's like, dude, wake up. That is so out of the ordinary. And so my first reaction was to get out. My kid at the time was probably five. If I'd have been in there with my kid, you know what he would have done? He'd have stood up on the booth and like, hey, let's see what they're doing. 
right? That's pure ignorance on his part. Noth and nothing against him, he's just never been through it. But if you've lived in the city for any period of time, that kind of thing is so far out of the ordinary. I'm thinking, I don't need to be here to find out that they're giving away free pie. I'll bypass that. I want to be out of here in case it is a holdup or a fire. And so the guy was doing the class with me. I've talked to him in about a year or two. Last time I talked to him, he goes, I still remember that. That was pretty good. And so your ear learns to pick up the things that are out of the ordinary. Normally, you don't listen to any kind of sidebar discussions in the restaurant. But that thing was so far out of the ordinary, I didn't need to hear what she said. Let's just blow out. And so you use CNBC kind of the same way. You listen for something that's so far out of the ordinary that your ear picks up and listens to it. Silly example, but shows up. So this caught the bottom is the point behind this, using the methodology. The next page is the weekly chart of the SPY, the spiders, bottom in March of 2009. Here's what it looked like on a weekly chart. Does that look like a tweezer? Look at that. Interesting. It's an engulfing also. Right? And veteran students, that's divergence. Look at Stoke. New people, let me explain what divergence is really quick. See how price over here in October-ish made a low? That little wick coming out was about November of 08? Price outside the bands. Look where Stoke is. Price bottomed out down there. Price made a lower low down here in March. See how price made a lower low? Look at what Stoke did. Stoke made a higher low. It diverged. The low on Stoke was not lower or anywhere close to what it had been, been back to when price was low back in October of 08. That's called bullish divergence. When you see that, it often will play out where price will rise from that. Not a guarantee, not a tradable moment, but it's one thing that it's another reason, if you will, to look to do the trade. So price here back in October was at a low point, right? And look where Stoke is. Stoke is low also, right? Stoke is down at zero. Okay, price went sideways and it made a lower low back here in March. Look what Stoke did. Stoke did not make a lower low. It's called bullish divergence. Okay. Yes. What he's pointing out here, go back to Holly Frontier. Here's what happened on the daily chart. What page number again? One, 113, does that sound right? So page 113. See how price on, what is that, June 24th or so? Made a low. Go forward about a week, ballpark July 1. Price made a lower low. See how Stoke did not make a lower low. Divergence. And look what happened. Price rose off that. Now, I don't trade just divergence because it's another 90-year-old woman, right? Brain dead, life support, the whole thing. It's just one more factor to consider. The next page is the QQQ, the top of the tech boom in March of 2000. Does it catch tops? Some of you are too young to remember this. Piss me off. Some of you remember it very well. The tech boom. NASDAQ ran to the moon back in 99 and 2000. <clears throat> Here's what it looked like at the top, middle of the page. March of 2000. Right there was the top of the tech boom. Look what happened. Cross, 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 cross. Came back up. Turned back down. Cross, 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 cross. 
You might have got shaken out on this first one back in March 9th. Small loss. Could have got in again right there, up near the top. Indicators work. They work really nicely as you go through this. Next piece to talk about. Can you flip up the lights for me a little bit? I got about 10 minutes and we're done, so I'm actually not running that, that late. Yeah, give me one sec. And so next thing we're going to talk about is multiple monitors. Simple answer for you. Buy them. Go get multiple monitors. Raj, do you have multiple monitors? Do you wish you would, well, how long did it take you to get them? Two months. Do you wish you'd have got them sooner? Okay. Good enough. Have a good night. <laughs> right now, you're seeing this whole presentation run off of my laptop. Each one, when I bring up a chart, I've got that chart. If I were to do a screen cap on that, it's running off of one screen on my laptop. I run multiple monitors at home. So at home, I see I've got eight. You can do it with six. I've got a weekly, a daily, a 233, a 55, a 34, and my quote sheets. You could do it on four if you wanted to. I run it on eight because I also look at other stuff and I got to respond to all your emails. So I keep a couple other things open. What I would urge you to do as soon as you can, buy multiple monitors. A couple spots you can get it. Go to NaplesTech.com. I used to sell, among many other things for IBM, one of the things I was tasked to do was to sell everything that IBM had. That included PCs. I hated dealing with PCs. Absolute pain in the butt. I didn't know anything about them other than I'd turn them on and all that. Didn't want to deal with them because there were always, there was always issues with it. I'd push it off on somebody else. Now watch this. Me who doesn't like dealing with them, this guy at Naples Tech, I get nothing from him. There's, no, there's nothing back either way. I love his product. I love his service. The, the guy you want to deal with there is a guy by the name of Len. Go to NaplesTech.com. His name is Len. He's out of Naples, Florida. Tell him you're in the class. Tell him you, you want to get what Hanson got. He'll show you what I buy. They've got a newer model today. The system unit will run you about two grand, give or take. For a six-unit monitor, if you, a couple hundred bucks less, they'll get you a four-monitor, four Jesus, four-port unit. Anyone get one recently from Len? Michelle, did you do it from? When did you get it? Six months? Can I ask how much it cost? Did you get a six or a four? Twenty-five hundred for the for the system unit. Okay. You want to get a wireless keyboard and get a wireless mouse. The reason why is you want to be able to sit back from the machine. You want to be limited to the length of the cord to your keyboard. You get a wireless keyboard, wireless mouse. If you go to Naples Tech, it's twenty-five hundred bucks. The guy's service is phenomenal. I assume he had good things. I didn't even ask you. Good stuff. I don't get anything from it. There's no, and understand this, I used to sell technology for IBM. I hated selling PCs. It's really weird. I will be happy to recommend this guy. And I hate dealing with technology. The nice thing about it, whenever I, if I have an issue, I've called the guy on Friday night at six o'clock, like, Len, I screwed something. I don't know what's going on. And he's on the East Coast. He stayed up with me till whatever to figure out what it was. It's something I screwed up. But phenomenal service. When you talk with him, if you're dealing with the price point and you say, I want a discount, he's going to say, hold on, let me talk to the manager or the owner. That's him. He owns the place. He'll just put you on hold and talk to himself and then come back on and go, well, the guy said we can do it. Don't tell him I told you that, but he does own the place. Phenomenal guy. Uh, let me think. So that's multiple monitors. Why do you want multiple monitors? Doing your homework with this stuff is incredibly fast with multiple monitors. You want to be able to see all time frames on a stock in one view. 
If you do it on a single monitor, you've got to look at the chart and say, okay, here's what the daily looks like, and then take a mental snapshot. Now, what does it look like on the 233 or the weekly and all these pieces? It is really difficult to do. I hate traveling. I used to hate traveling with just my laptop because it took forever to do my homework. I went and picked up, I don't bring them, I've got them in the trunk. I've got multiple monitors that I can run off my laptop now. And so I can do that as well. I can actually, I've done this. I've got three monitors that I attach. I can sit in Starbucks with four monitors. It looks a little bit freaky. There's a, she in the back, there's a lady in the back of the room that does it as well. I don't know if she does it with two or three. And she, and she talks to herself and she goes, it's really where people come up. You go, what? They just kind of watch her. She's doing it because they're amazed that she's got three monitors sitting on the desk at Starbucks. She travels around and does it that way. So it is totally doable. If you use it just buying the laptop monitors, they run ballpark 100 bucks a piece and you need a hub. So your solution's about 500 bucks. If you do it through like Len, what'd you say, $2,500? Monitors about 100 bucks each. No, I understand. So 2,500 bucks for the, for the system. Monitors, give or take 100, 100 and a quarter each. And then a stand is probably 100, 200 bucks, something like that. So you do the math on that. It's kind of what you're looking at for a price point. Do you need to get it day one? No. But I will tell you this, the minute you get it, you'll have wished you got it three months before. It makes such a difference in doing your homework. It is so much easier, faster, the whole nine yards. You're, it's basically like having glasses on versus not. It is that much better and easier. I get in, I used, before I got the laptop monitors, I used to be annoyed to travel to try and do my homework on the laptop. Now it's like, oh, it's kind of fun. It's a lot easier to do, okay? So that's the multiple monitor discussion. Again, get them as soon as you can. You'll find this is so much easier. I will send you a watch list of volatile stocks. I will send you a QCharts workspace. They will be in two separate files. And wait a minute, why don't you put the volatile stocks into the QCharts workspace? Because I want you to learn how to do it. It's a typing exercise, it'll take you 10 minutes. But I want you to learn how to do it. It's very, you did it. Veronica was easy to do, right? It takes a couple minutes, not that big of a deal. QCharts, when you first look at it, is not intuitively obvious. It is not the easiest thing to figure out. Do not try and download it on your own and try and load the workspace. When I send it to you, I'll have instructions on what to do. If you try and execute that file, here, write this in my note, in your notes, the file will not execute. Don't send me an email that says it doesn't work. I just told you it won't work. Don't try and execute the file. Follow the instructions that I wrote out, or better yet, call Joe at QCharts. He'll step you through it. It'll take you 10 minutes. Swallow your pride. Swallow your ego. Just call the guy up and take it. It saves you so much time, headache, and hassle. So you'll get a workspace. I'll send you a separate a Word document with the list of volatile stocks. If you're not sure what to do, have Joe step you through and say, Joe, how do I add, he told me I gotta add these names because he's too lazy to do it himself. What do I do? He'll step you through how to do two or three, you do the rest on your own. The, work, the list of volatile stocks will have eh, ballpark 60 names on it. You may look at that and say, hey, my favorite stock is not in there. I don't care, add it. Say, but there's only 60 names, I wanna look at 200 names. You'll be doing this all night long. Limit yourself to about 60, max 70 names, and you're still gonna have a hard time getting it done in about an hour, hour and a half. You'll eventually learn how to speed it up, okay? Here's your homework going forward. You got your reading list that we covered in the first class. Your news homework, you're still doing it. Six stocks per night. 
Make a prediction on whether they're going to move up or down a dollar. Write down why. Track how you did three days later. You're going to do that for years to come. If you've not yet done the high-low homework, do that. That will prove to yourself that the stocks move a lot. By the way, did you do the homework? What did you find? You get some that move? Did you find any that move less than like 10% in a month? What was it? Do you remember? Okay. That's fine. But guess what stock is not on my list? GE doesn't move very much. Exactly. That's exactly it. His point is, hey, GE doesn't move very much, but it's a great long-term holding. Most of you want something that's kind of boring stodgy, just going to be there. It's a, store of, it's a store of wealth. If you've not done the high-low homework, do it. It will help you get your mind around the fact that there's a lot of movements in stock. You'll only do it once and done, then you'll, you'll at least see what I'm talking about. The options overview, read that document a few times. Keep reading if it's not making sense, the difference between calls and puts. It's going to take a while for it to click. Don't worry about it. Just keep reading it again and again. Eventually, one night, about 2 in the morning, you'll hear my voice, and you're like, oh, that's what a put is. And you'll send me a note. About, please send the note about 6 in the morning. Don't send a text at 2 in the morning. Go, I got it. I don't care at 2 in the morning. 6 in the morning, I'll be happy to hear it. If you didn't do the options homework, do that. That will help you understand an options chain. You should be writing your daily journals, both market journal as well as personal journal. Things that you're discovering, aha moments, things that are unclear, etc. So Q charts is the next piece. Um, be sure and call Q charts. You'll have that. Load the workspace and then update the watch list that I'll send you. Your new homework going forward. Every night, every week, on your watch list, find two good paper trades per week. What is, a, what is a good paper trade? What is a good trade? When they all line up, you get a 3x all on the same candle. Excuse me, find eight bad ones. What's a bad trade? Something that's not good. Okay? So when you start off your bad trade, could be just throw a dart at the wall. Whatever name you come up with, or dart at your work, don't throw it at the laptop. <laughs> throw it, pick a name randomly. Say, let me just pick that stock, see what it does. That's a bad trade, because it doesn't meet your criteria. Do eight of those in a week. Track your results. So when you start off, you could just pick some random garbage. Over time, what you want to do is rather than just picking some random stuff, Say, what happens if I get a 3x that's off by 1, or by 2, or by 3, and track how that performs? That's what you're trying to do. That will teach you then how close to perfect must I be. And does it make a difference if MACD crosses before Stoke, or Stoke before MACD, or with an X number of candles? You want to practice all that and see that so you get comfortable with it. To do this on paper trading, hear me loud and clear. This is not online virtual trading. This is paper trading. Get a notebook and write it down. Dude, you're old school. Dude, I don't work. Do it my way. It works. Get a notebook, get a sheet of notebook paper, a spiral notebook, whatever you want to do. Write the stuff down. What you're going to do is log the stock price at entry and exit. Print the options chain at entry and at exit. Also print it every day that you're in the trade. So print the options chain every single day that you're in the trade. What you want to do, save the output from the options. 
that you've been printing. Once you're done, you're going to staple a trade log, which we'll cover in the next class, to that options data. And you're going to file it. The reason you're doing this, there is no source that I'm aware of where you can find historical options pricing without having to pay a substantial sum for it. And so what you're going to do is you're creating your own database. Then what you're going to do with that now book of trades, if you will, paper trades, in a few months you're going to go back and analyze those trades. See how the trades performed, see what you did right, see what you did wrong, and then you're going to look at the options piece and see how those did. You'll figure out which options would have performed the best, which ones didn't work as well. If you'd go through that analysis sooner, you're going to waste hours and hours and hours. You're going to get incredibly frustrated. Just print it out, file it away, you'll look at it later. It works incredibly well if you'll do it that way. I've taught hundreds of people how to do this. Those that do it that way, they get it. it it's so much. I'm not trying to create work for you. I'm making, trying to make it easier for you. The other reason you want to do that, options have a mind of their own. If you were to study the movement of 10 stocks and their options, you will find that seven to eight of them will probably move normally. There'll be one, two, or three of them that will move kind of erratically and oddly. If you just happen to pick one of those as your baseline, you'll get so annoyed with options. If you've studied dozens of these things, you'll be able to spot the outliers that are acting erratically. And you'll realize, oh, that's just an outlier. Don't worry about it. Just one of those, it's the wild hairs. The other reason you want to do paper trading and not virtual trading. Virtual accounts with options are a waste of your time because they don't update the options pricing accordingly at the broker's page. Think about it. If you're the broker, if you're Fidelity, Schwab, whomever, you're trying to drive revenue for your company, how much does a paper trading account generate for revenue for you? Zilch. How much effort on your development team should you put into that? little less than zilch, right? Which means you're seeing that. So that's why you just write it down. Don't worry about it. As you go through this stuff, you now know, I got a little bit more, I got a couple weeks more experience than you guys do doing this, but you've got everything that I do at a very simple level. This is what I do in my homework every night. I go through my watch list. I'm looking for the good trades. I get through my list. My list has got about 120, 125 names on it. I'm giving you 60. You're not going to trade better with double the number of names. All I'm doing is going through the watch list every night. I'm looking for a 3x. I can look at a chart in about 10 seconds. That's a long time and decide if it's there or not. And I use the example of somebody attractive. You can look at somebody real quick. Are they attractive? Yes or no. If they're not, move. Go to the next one. You look at a chart very quick. If it is not a 3x, next, 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 next. When you see one, then you're going to jot it down, paper trade it. See what happens. Two good ones, eight bad ones every week on paper. The fun part for me teaching this stuff, all of you have the ability to do this. We've all got the same 24 hours in a day. It's all how you choose to use your time. I will tell you this, if you'll spend the time doing this, you'll get to the point where an hour and a half of your day is your commitment every day, plus some sleep time. But it takes a long time to get to that point. And all you got to do is spend the hour a day doing it. But it's totally up to you. Right? No one's got, I'm not going to be kicking your butt to do this. I'm not your boss. I'm not your spouse. You got you to want to do it for yourself. The rewards are awesome. The work is an hour. Totally up to you. You get to decide. Nobody else does it for you.
So his question is, if I trade a $50 stock, if I get a dollar, $2 move on it, that's what, 2%, something like that? But on a dollar, if I get a dollar move on a $500 stock, that's one half of 1%, wherever the math is. Scale it up. So if you're doing a $500 stock, multiply your dollar by 10. Okay? Say, well, what if it's a $100 stock? Keep it still at about a dollar. You get north of about 200, then you can start to do the scaling up. Or if that's confusing, don't trade the expensive ones. Just practice on the cheap stuff. And beyond that, we are done. I will see you in two weeks, same place, same time.